by cutting back on my, my chemical fertilizer applications. We all know the price of fertilizer. I've been able to save a considerable amount of money there. By growing better quality grass, I've been able to save a considerable money there and that I'm growing uh, better quality grass, but haven't compromised my uh, thrive on the, on, the, on the sheep or on the lambs. Hello, I'm Kieran Lynch and welcome to Obicast, the Chocolate Sheep Podcast. Each episode will bring you less insights, advice and technical updates for the sheep industry. It was part of the Sustainability Week we chat to Signpost Programme participant John O'Connell on this episode to discuss how John has implemented the 12 steps to reduce gaseous emissions on his farm. We chat about the various measures he's implemented from addressing soil fertility to better grass and management. John discusses the importance of animal health planning and its breeding programme has. We finish up the episode discussing his experience with overshone clover and the role he sees for it on his farm. We start off, however, with John giving a bit of background to his farming system. So I farm just out to the Ballinamore in County Leitrim. I have a lowland mid-season lambing flock of yews, mostly Suffolk belt, they about a Suffolk cross yews, and I also have a contract rearing business, uh, dairy heifers. John, you'd be quite highly stocked for the area. Obviously, grassland management performance is key to both of them systems. Yeah, it's a very, it, it, it is, and it's also, this year in particular has been very challenging, as we all know. Um, the weather hasn't played ball with us. But uh, I suppose because I am so heavily stocked, it's important that I address these issues that we're about to to, to, to talk about. Just let's put this a little bit in context. It's same post week. We're talking about the 12 steps that can have an impact on sheep farms on reducing emissions. You've been on a journey like over the last couple of years. You're probably still on it in terms of looking at ways you can improve productivity on your farm, reduce some of the costs. You've been adopting technology and changing how you've managed on your farm for a number of years. This is just an extra layer onto it, or it makes you look at things in a different way. Would that be fair to say? Yeah, that's true, Kieran. Over the years, there has been many changes made. And if we just look at soil fertility alone, I suppose one of the big changes would have been the application of lime and going back in with lime and trying to correct those pHs and bringing them back to where they need to be from somewhere around 5.7, 5.8, up to 6.3 is where I like them to be at. I like my pHs up around 6.3. So that has that has changed over the last number of years. John, if we went back a couple of years before that, it's fair to say probably on a lot of dry stock farms, lime correcting soil pH is something that's been ignored to an extent. When did you embark on kind of tackling your soil fertility? The last seven or eight years, I've been I've been uh, soil sampling on a regular basis and more or less have seen the pHs where they were at and where they needed to be. And just by changing those pHs and getting out of the lime, uh, you know, the, the benefit has been tenfold. You know, I've, I've freed up so much, so free nitrogen that was locked up on the ground and a certain amount of P and K. Like, John, you, you touched on the impact of it there that has had how obvious was that to you from a production point of view, the impact of correct soil pH? So I've been soil sampling on a regular basis over the last number of years, but where I really see it is grass growth. The grass growth has improved an awful lot, an awful lot more and grown an awful lot more grass by just correcting the, the, the pH and getting the lime out, which uh, relatively speaking, compared to your, your chemical fertilizers, the lime is, 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 is very cheap and it's, it's good value bang for buck. For, for what you're putting out. Uh, as I said, it's, it, it releases so much nitrogen that's locked up on the ground. And in return for that, I'm growing an awful lot more grass. 
John, you, you, you touched on it there. It's, it's a cheaper aspect of soil fertility, to correct? Just in terms of the P&K, well, how was the situation like on your farm? What did you have to do to get your P&K indexes up? So my P&Ks were down somewhere around index two, and some of them would have been index three. Most of my P&Ks in recent years from soil sampling are up in index three, and some will be up at index four. Uh, would have used a certain amount of compound fertilizer, uh, 18612 uh, in particular, and some 101020. So I suppose using the, the, the compound fertilizer, as I said, 18612, and, and getting the pHs right, cutting out my, my, my lime, it has improved my, my P's and K's and got them up to where, where they need to be at. Look, it's, it's not something that happens overnight, John. Like from your initial size sampling, how often have you gone back in, checking it, how long has this taken to improve some limb indexes? And maybe in that, like what's been the benefit of knowing you have a few days at index four, has that had an impact on your fertilizer plan? Yeah, in that I, I, I'm getting better value out of what I'm, what, I'm, what I'm using. It has definitely improved in that I, I'm, I'm growing, as I said earlier, I'm growing more grass and growing better quality grass. And this, is, this has been, I suppose, a, a work in progress for the last 10 years. So I, I would be soil sampling on a regular basis now every two to three years. Uh, there's no benefit, I don't think, that in, in soil sampling every year. But every two to three years going in and soil sampling at the appropriate times, namely during the, the winter months, December, January, before I go back over to any chemical fertilizer or, or slurry. And um, I can see the way that the peas and a lot of paddocks, uh, the, the, the peas and k's are, are gone from, we say, index twos up to index three and in some cases index four. And that in turn has, has meant that I'm growing a lot more grass and better quality grass and into the shoulders of the year. I, I've seen that over the years because I, I've been measuring grass for the last eight or nine, possibly 10 years. And I can see where back, we'd say 10 years ago, I was growing somewhere in the region of seven or eight tonne of dry matter per hectare, whereas now I'm growing 13 to 14 tonne of dry matter per hectare. It varies from year to year, but there's a big difference just by making a few subtle changes. And financially, uh, it wouldn't have cost a whole pile of money. Look, it's just something you're building on. Look, you, you touched on something here in terms of fertilizer. One of the changes probably you've seen in the last couple of years is you are using protected urea now on your farm. How has that had an impact on your management over the year? When you use the protected urea, and was it a big change for you? So I would have been using, for for some years ago, I would have used urea. But I find that the obviously protected urea, you're more you have more flexibility that you can use that throughout the whole summer and even during the dry period. Um, sunny weather, it's not an issue that you can you can still go out and use a protected urea. So I'm using as far as my nitrogen application, it's all protected urea I've been using since two thousand and probably eighteen. I don't use any can based products. Um but I'm still growing as much and more grass and a lot cheaper because of the fact that you know, it's it's more bang for buck with the protected urea than it is with your your can based products. So, really, my fertilizer chemical fertilizer program um, may have tailored and cut back my my application a small little bit, and that I'm very very careful of when I go with that first application. So maybe back a few years ago, before uh, chemical fertilizers have increased so much in recent times, I may be going say mid to late February, early March. And maybe slightly less than a half a, 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 a bag per per acre, but I still go out and blanket spread all the ground 
um, as I said, when, when ground conditions and weather allows and try and get out maybe roughly 18 to 20 units of protected to rear. John, would it be fair to say over the last season too, your overall nitrogen usage, despite the fact that stockering has stayed more or less the same in your family, your overall nitrogen usage has probably cut back slightly? It's cut back a considerable amount. Uh, I've been been very careful, I suppose, with, with how I, I use my, my my organic material, my slurry. I'm using the, the less low-emission slurry spreading, so I'm making more use of that nutrient on the farm, which is more or less free. So I'm able to cut back a bit on my chemical usage. of, of uh, For instance, last year, I would have grown more or less the same amount of grass in 2022 as I would have in 21. And my fertilizer, as we, as we all know, uh, prices went up by 300%. And I was able to to uh, decrease or use somewhere uh, less than less than about 40%. So I was more or less only using a little bit more than half the fertilizer, chemical fertilizer I would have used in the previous year. And I suppose that was to do with targeting paddocks that needed it most. And that's coming back to the soil fertility and soil analysis again, knowing what paddocks needed it most and being able to target those paddocks and obviously come back out and replenishing any paddocks with P and K, that would be with slurry or, or with 8 and 6, 12, uh, where I would have taken a, a crop of silage off. John, you mentioned less technology there for the slurry. You're taking a lot of off-cuts, obviously. Um, those guys and paddocks being taken out for silage. You're going out probably on grazing ground with slurry as well. Has the less method of spreading slurry had an impact for you, and is it a benefit, do you think? Yeah, without a shadow of a doubt, it's definitely working for me that I'm going out and I'm getting I'm getting small. I, I, the way I work at Cairn is I go little and often. So I try to go out on paddocks that I might have say, taken a light crop of silage off. And in order to get the, the peas and case replenished in those paddocks, I go out and spread somewhere in the region of 1,500 to 2,000 gallons of slurry using the low emission slurry spreading. Um, it, by using that, I've... 60% of the nitrogen uh, less lost in the, to the atmosphere because I'm using that system. So it, it works in that regard. And you can really see the benefits in, in grass growth after putting out that as opposed to using, say, the conventional splash plate system. Also, by using the less and getting back in earlier to, to rebraze that paddock and to get it back into the rotation for, for, for my sheep or for my lambs or both. Look, as, as something else you've done a lot on in the last couple of years is looking at your grazing infrastructure. You touched on the other year, grass measuring. Take me through your story on that, John. Like, What happened there first? Like, talk to me about your paddocks, your rotation and grazing system. What, what impact has that had on your management on the farm? Well, going back roughly eight to ten years ago, maybe a little bit longer, it was kind of set stock grazing. And just by putting in an infrastructure in place and having those paddocks in place, Basically, I'm deciding where the sheep go rather than the sheep deciding where they go. And it has made um, a, a, a massive difference on the farm in, in, in so many ways. One in particular is I'm growing an awful lot more grass. I'm growing an awful lot more better quality grass. So it's all about, I suppose, we use the fancy word residency. So you also going into a paddock. So if we go back to, we'd say, 10 years ago, there was 12, uh, there was six permanent uh, paddocks on the farm or fields and that has been uh, that has been increased to 12 or 13 paddocks just on the home farm alone 
And during the year, those paddocks, depending on where I'm at at grazing, using pasture base, I can decide and determine how many days grazing is in that paddock. If there's five days grazing in the paddock, I split that paddock in two. So during the peak growing season, when it's harder or hardest to manage grass, we talk from mid-May right through to the end of June, I might have that increased up to 20 or 24 paddocks by splitting those paddocks again with, with, with FlexiNet wire or whatever the case may be. So what I'm doing is I'm reducing the residency of the time spent in each paddock. So they're grazing the paddock out clean, they're grazing it down to a residual of four, four and a half centimetres, they're moving on to the next paddock. And by using pasture base and by managing the paddocks with the infrastructure that's in place, I'm growing more grass, I'm skipping paddocks when needs be, and taking them out, I'm growing better quality grass for, for silage, and to have a cleaner uh, swart coming back in on the next rotation for lambs coming in again. So it's it's tenfold just by putting the measure, putting the, the the infrastructure in place, and having those paddocks there. There's a there's a payback is ten times. Yeah, it's a double win, John. You you get that increased production, but you're getting better performance. And as you mentioned there, like a lot of your silage now is coming from offtakes. So both your sheep system and the contract heifer rearing, that's an important aspect of it too in terms of improving animal performance. Oh, without a doubt, yeah. That's I can see it in. Uh, as I said, I'm growing more grass, but but I'm not compromising on on animal performance. It's actually enhancing animal performance. Like the the, the I can see that my my lamb growth rates are as good, if not better, than they were back years ago. And bear in mind, I'm stocked an awful lot heavier, so I'm stocked at somewhere in the region of eleven yards to the hectare, as opposed to seven yards to the hectare back say ten years ago. Back ten years ago, I would have been growing somewhere in the region of seven tonne of dry matter per hectare, whereas now, just by making those subtle changes, I'm growing somewhere in the region of 12 to 13 tonne of dry matter per hectare. Look, what we chat about so far really focus on getting more out of the land, whether it be their inputs in fertilizer or, or actually improving the production or how we actually go about managing it. I suppose from a point of view of reducing emissions on the farm, if we flip over now and we look at the effect of your changes or what you've done different on animal performance. John, maybe like if, if we start at the basic bit of this, um, flock health, the importance of flock health on overall productivity, it also has a big impact though on the emissions from the farm, particularly in animals that aren't in top health. What have you looked at or what do you think are the key areas from a sheep flock health point of view that you've addressed on your farm? Well, I think just to start off by saying flock health a healthy yo is a productive yo. And if your yo is or your lambs are healthy, and by putting in place a few things like lameness, addressing the whole issue of lameness, addressing the issue of dosing and antinomintic resistance and antimicrobial resistance, and get looking at those, focusing on those key areas, it can make an awful difference to the the health of the flock and in return the production of that flock. So as I said, a healthy yo is a productive yo. So if we just take lameness alone, some of the changes I, w- I would have made with, with, with regard to lameness, I put in a, a foot bath, a batch foot bath, and every time the yos or lambs are in the yard for whatever routine work that's been done with them, they automatically go through the foot bath. And that has paid off uh, 10 times, tenfold for me, in that in a month or six weeks of, of putting in that batch foot bath, my lameness had 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 went down to something like three three percent three euros in every hundred. So that was a that was a, a big change and 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 made such a difference to the health of the euros because obviously a lame yo is not a productive or a healthy yo. 
And secondly, the dosing um, by going in and do fecal sampling. So, for instance, with regard to the worm resistance, uh, um, worm or parasite control with the lambs during the year, I would go in and fecal sample. And on those fecal results, I decide when to go in and dose lambs. And it's an issue that I suppose we should all be looking at is this antinomitic resistance. And the fact that if we keep going in and dosing routinely, uh, we may not be. And, and, and tied into that is, is the whole drench test and knowing what works and what doesn't work because there's absolutely no point in wasting money and time dosing lambs with a product that's not working. And so it's important, I suppose, and if something I've found over the years by going in and doing the drench test and finding out what worked. And then in conjunction with that, going in and doing my faecal egg counts and finding out where I was at each time and then only going in and dosing lambs uh, when it was appropriate, when I needed to to hit them with with an appropriate antilimentic. And then and thirdly, I suppose, with regard to antilimentic resist or uh, antimicrobial resistance, putting in a vaccination program in place. So for me in particular, it was Enzo and Toxo vaccine. Um, also, of course, I vaccinate for I, I vaccinate for ARF, but but using the different vaccines that are appropriate or applicable to the flock and knowing what you need to go in with, um, that in itself can can address the whole issue of antimicrobial resistance, which is something that's been looked at long and hard now, um, and we need to all look at it uh, from a, a, a I suppose the industry point of view that we need to be using less and less. Um, antibiotics. But John, like the three key areas you looked at that all have a direct impact on the animal's health and productivity and the three areas are fairly simple to address by just putting the flock health plan in place. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And just by, yeah, exactly. By putting that flock health plan in place and just by sticking to those three areas, it's it's simple but effective. So it's also important to, you know, to communicate and liaise with, with, with your local vet and with your regional veterinary labs and to, to make use of them, like so, for instance, if, if you had a, an abortion storm uh, and you're wondering why you have um, why you have yours abortion, it's important to present those samples or fetuses to the to the lab and to, keep, to follow up on it and to make sure you find out and get a definitive answer why you have these issues or why you have these problems. And I had to do that over the years. I was I had to find out what was happening and to, as I said, to to talk to my vet, my local vet, and in turn talk to the regional veterinary lab and see where I was at. And then from the results there, I could make an educated decision of where I needed to go and what vaccines I needed to use. Look, John, we're, we're heading into October, so we are breeding is obviously taking place around the country. Talk to me a little bit about what happened in terms of the breeding policy on your farm over the last number of years. What's changed? What impact has that had? So I suppose I, I've been recording... Uh, the genetic, the genetics uh, um, within the flock, and one big change, I suppose, is that I, I'm I'm going for for uh, Eurostar index rams, five star rams on maternal and and uh, and terminal sides. I'm looking at what I what I need, and in particular, we just take the maternal side. I'm going for say five star rams, maternal, and in turn. The, the the progeny from them is is what I'm, I'm focusing on to see what lambs I'm going to retain for the flock and to try and improve the genetics within the flock. And then, of course, on the terminal side for lambs that I'm finishing, looking at days to slaughter and trying to reduce days to slaughter all the time and using the figures within the Eurostar indexes and buying and um, purchasing four and five star rams, if at all possible. 
what's important also with that is the decision you make, and of course your your ram has has um, a lot of input into the flock. He's fifty percent of of the genetics within the flock. So what decisions or what rams you would use this year has a knock on effect for the next five to six, possibly ten years within the flock. John, just in terms of output, like what's your target litter size weaning rate for the farm? So my target weaning uh, litter size weaning rate would be somewhere in the region of one point eight, and that's going to the factory. I'd like to, and uh, in order to get to that, I'd like to be scanning around around the two to two point one, um, and some of the points that we we have talked about earlier, if we get the flock health right and we get the the vaccine um, uh, program regime in place, it has a knock-on effect on lamb survivability and your mortality rate and keeping those figures down. And it sort of it all ties in with the, the, the flock health, the quality of the silage you're making, your, your, um, your um, dosing regime, your lameness, all of that ties into having yours in better condition, coming into mating time, that in turn increases usually your your um, your scanning rate, and that all comes from having your grassland management in place. So a lot of the factors, a lot of the points that we've covered earlier, sort of ties into this, and this increase the bottom line it increases your productivity. John, just in terms of productivity, I, I know you've mated your lambs on the farm over a long number of years. It's one of the steps we can take to actually reduce overall emissions. What's your experience of that being? What impact has that had on your overall production and are there challenges involved in that? Well, I sort of answer your last question first. The challenge there would be to make sure that your yolams are at an optimum weight. So really for, for, for retaining yolams and breeding them that year, it's important that they're at 60 to 65% of the mature body weight. That's a very important factor I have found over the years in order for those lambs to breed that particular year. Um, and that in itself is a, is that's that's a challenge in itself. But the important part of what I found is with regard to productivity and sustainability, in that the, any of the stock on the farm are basically productive stock. So the lambs are not lying over for a full twelve to eighteen months before you're producing them. So those those particular that cohort of of sheep on the farm are productive sheep. And obviously, all other surplus lambs are sold off as as either stores or finished lambs. So, it's from a sustainability point of view, everything on the farm that I'm keeping in, say, the month of October is breeding stock. It might not lend to every system, but for those who can do it, uh, it, it, it it's well worthwhile. John, like from a, from a grassland point of view, you've you've done a lot of work over the years addressing soil fertility, changing your fertilizer plan, grass measuring paddocks, all has had a big impact. I suppose the last step that you've really embarked on over the last couple of seasons has been clover. It's not that you're forced foray into it, but what have you done different from a clover point of view? How has it worked out, and do you think it's having an impact on performance? Well, the clover in the sward, trying to get clover introduced or to get it into the sward is, it has its challenges, but what I have found in my experience is to get it in early in the year. So ideally, I would like to put in, for instance, and last year there, I would have put in clover, uh, mint hill or surface seeded uh, into the into the sward after I took off uh, 
silage off the ground. It's important to get in right after the silage comes off it because of the fact that you have a very close ward um, from from sheep uh, to get that to get that 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 seed to to make that connection with the soil. It's important to get in right after the silage comes off. So last year, I know I was I made silage on the fifteenth or sixteenth of May, and we sowed the seed right away after that. Now. What's important there also is to make sure that that particular field that you're putting it into our paddock, the pH has to be up there somewhere in the region of 6.3 to 6.5. Clover seed likes that that pH sitting up around there. So that, that's very important to get that right. And then when you get the seed in and get it established, the next challenge there is to manage that and to, to, to keep it in this ward. So it's important, I suppose, for year one that you keep your, your nitrogen, chemical nitrogen application to a minimum and use very little and graze that sward right up until mid to late December because clover, in order for it to stay in this sward, it's important that it gets lots of light. So it's important it's grazed in right up until December. Back some years ago, in hindsight, I wasn't managing it properly and maybe that's why it, 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 it wasn't, I didn't keep it in the sward. It's very important that it's grazed regular so that um, clover um, seed that was sown last year was grazed off throughout the whole summer to make sure the light got into it um, and not be carrying over heavy swords of grass over the winter that it's grazed right up until to late in the year and I think they are the two key areas that you have to focus on or had to focus on in order to keep the clover within the sward and of course by keeping clover in the sward it has cut down on my my chemical nitrogen application John, you, you've made a lot of changes on the farm over the last number of years. I suppose as a sector, we have some challenges to meet and we need to adopt different technologies. I suppose overall, from your point of view, you've embarked on this journey for a number of years, even before you became a signpost participant. How has that affected your farm overall? Like, just to round it or summarise it for me, how has that had an impact on your farm? Well, a lot of what I have been doing over the last number of years and, and uh, even before I, I went into the signpost programme, I suppose I've been doing some of them, but maybe not as as efficiently as I am doing them now. And I suppose there are lots of farmers out there doing exactly what I have been doing and maybe um, to the same or greater extent. But the big differences I am seeing is productivity has improved and bang for buck and basically what's in my back pocket has improved. So by, by being able to to cut back on my, just to, to, to give a quick synopsis on it, by cutting back on my my chemical fertilizer applications, we all know the price of fertilizer. I've been able to save a considerable amount of money there. By growing better quality grass, I've been able to save a considerable money there and that I'm growing better quality grass, but haven't compromised my my um, they, uh, thrive on the, on, the, on the sheep or on the lambs. And also been able to cut back on my concentrate bills. So they're the key areas, I suppose, fertilizer and concentrate are two key areas where we can save money and without compromising on the health or the thrive or production of the flock or whatever is on the farm. John, look, really appreciate you taking out your time to come on with us today. It's good synopsis of what you've done on the farm over the last two years. Good chatting to you again. Thanks, Kieran. We leave it there for this week's episode. Good hearing from John again and catching up with him on how he's progressing and how he's implemented those various changes on his farm and the impact they're having. I have included the guide to 12 steps for sheep farms, so how they can reduce their gaseous emissions in the show notes. It's worth having a look at. Very useful template if you're looking at farm planning, even on your own system. 
That's it for me for this episode. Again, for updates from our sheep program, keep an eye on our Twitter page at Chocolate Sheep. I'm Kieran Lynch. Thanks for joining us. Don't forget to follow us for more episodes.